everyone, and welcome to the second episode in this very special series, the Toddler Milestone Moment Series, which is created in partnership with my friends at Baby Annabelle. Baby Annabelle is the UK's number one leading nurturing doll brand and is passionate about sharing the power of role play to support with toddler milestones. We've got four incredible episodes covering everything you need to know about toddler milestones. We're covering sleep, nutrition, nursery, and siblings, and a new one will be released every Monday in September. This second episode in the series is with the brilliant Dr. Marta De Ros Collado. Dr. Marta is a clinical psychologist and mother to her own toddler. I really wish I'd had this episode when Jessie was a toddler and I was pregnant with Rose. In this episode, you're going to learn how to talk to your toddler about their new sibling, how to introduce them to ensure a really positive start, what to do when that guilt starts creeping in as about spending so much time with your new baby and maybe not enough with your toddler and how to handle sibling arguments. We also discuss how doll play can support your toddler with this milestone and exactly how to do it. I know this is an episode you're going to want to share with any mum friends expecting their second, third or even fourth child. Before we get into the episode, I'm really excited to tell you that the lovely team at Baby Annabelle have gifted me to gift you an incredible package of their dolls and accessories worth over £300. To enter the competition to win this package, just pop over to my Instagram at Zoe Blasky to enter. T's and C's apply. See the website for more details. I'm so excited to have this conversation in our Toddler Milestone Moments series about siblings with you, the lovely Dr. Martha. Welcome. Hi. So I read something the other day that said when a toddler welcomes home a new sibling, it is literally like your partner bringing home a new partner. That is how catastrophic it can feel. Is that accurate? Is that how a bigger deal it is for toddlers when you're bringing home a new baby? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a nice comparison in some ways, because I think it can feel life changing. You know, that unexpectedness, I guess you framing it in that way makes it like, puts you in the place of a child where no matter how much you've prepared them, that there's going to be this other person in their home, a baby. It's not the same as when the reality hits. And I guess that's also true for parents. (laughs) No matter how much you plan that you're going to have another baby, it's not quite the same as when the reality really hits. But yes, I think it is kind of one of those life-changing, earth-wobbling moments where children just, their lives are never the same again, like for good, but also for bad, because it's an adjustment to have to share your mum and dad and your home and everything you've ever known with another being who you don't know. So the baby is somebody you don't know, you don't have a relationship with, you have no kind of connection with them whatsoever. So yeah, I think it can be that kind of life shaking. You mentioned that word preparation. What can parents do? I remember reading all these books to Jessie I honestly don't think it really, like you're saying, it didn't sink in until, but I'm wondering, is that a helpful thing to do? What do you recommend in terms of how parents prepare? Or maybe actually as well, second part B question, telling your toddler that you're going to have another baby. So I think it is important to tell your toddler 
don't not tell them. I think it's about timeliness. Like, when do you? And there is no right or wrong. But if you've got a toddler, the thing to really recognize is that they only understand things in a really concrete, literal way. So they understand things that they can see or that they can feel and like physically experience. So you having a baby or being pregnant, if you're not showing with a bump, they don't understand what that means. It's very abstract to them. So it can help in terms of timeliness to share it with your child when you have something to show and when perhaps they can have something to see, which might be a scan and, or maybe they can join you to a scan. Or if you have, you know, one of those appointments where they listen to the baby's heartbeat. I remember like with mine, it became like pretty much every time they would just check and let me hear it a little bit. So if you do, then you could take your toddler once you know you're safe, you know, after your 12 week scan that, you know, like everything's okay then you could invite your toddler and they could hear baby's heart. And that can really help children realize there's something in there. And you can then start to kind of prepare the idea of a baby. So yes, books are great. I also really like role play and having like a dolly or something else that you can like help your child understand. And I think role play for preparation, I see it twofold. I see it for your child, but I also see it for you. I think with parents, and I know this might sound really weird, but actually just playing with your child, but playing the idea of you holding a baby and still playing with your child. So, you know, making a puzzle or doing some drawing and, you know, having, oh, the baby's crying. You know, what will it be like for you to be like, oh, the I need to go and do something with baby and for your child to kind of experience it. That kind of practicing really helps develop their awareness and their skills but yours as well. Because for me, one of the things that can really help children before and after is not blaming things on baby. So not kind of saying, I can't play with you because I have to feed baby because then it's baby's fault. And we want to separate the, I can't play with you. I can't connect with you. And it's the baby's fault. We want to separate those two things so you can make it neutral. And again, sometimes it's about practicing our own language and just building our awareness of being able to play with our kid and being able to say, I'm going to take two minutes and then I'm going to come back and carry on playing with you. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Think of it now when you don't have a second. How do you tell your child if you have to go off and do something. Sometimes you just leave the room and you'll say, two minutes, I'm coming back. That's all you need to do. So sometimes it can help the role play for you, you know, to kind of become aware of how am I going to manage this? And what will it sound like? What words will come out of my mouth and how will it sound? And for your child to kind of see it as well as them playing with a baby and seeing what needs to be done with a baby, the changing the nappies, the whatever, you know, the baby's crying. What do we do? Practicing things like singing them a lullaby, you know, which is a really lovely thing for a toddler to do, to sing them a little song or show them some toys. So you're also teaching them appropriate skills with baby. Where is it okay to touch baby? You know, how is it okay to hold them? Maybe you don't want the baby to just pick them up and run off with them, right? So we need to think about doll play as appropriate as well. I really, really heard you say trying not to blame the baby. I definitely did that. I did the whole, even when I was pregnant, and I think that's an important thing, as you say, to start practicing that language. Mummy is so tired with this baby in my tummy. I can't play right now. I can see how that would set up. Well, it's this baby's fault that mummy can't play with me. And therefore you're sort of 
laying the trickier foundation, aren't you? And I think that's so important because, gosh, that final couple of months pregnant with a toddler, that is so hard, isn't it? Have you got any any advice on what we can do? Even without a toddler, it's so hard. The waddle, the kind of everything's uncomfortable. But I remember without a toddler, I would be like, I could nap. I'd be like, I'm just going for a nap. And that just becomes totally unavailable. (laughs) Although I remember once when I was pregnant with Rose, and I would have been about seven months pregnant, I'd put the TV on for Jessie for her hour, sort of TV time at lunch. I thought, I'm just going to have a little nap. I honestly woke up two and a half hours later. She was just still sat there glued to the TV. I was like, oh my gosh, that was so unsafe. And I was setting an alarm after then. But the exhaustion... The exhaustion was like nothing I've ever experienced. I mean, for me, it's about you setting boundaries. And I do talk about this a lot because I do think it's important. And I know this is really difficult for parents in general, but often for mums. But you do need to care for yourself. Like you cannot give to your child what you don't have. The one thing that I would say, it's about what is more or less useful. So it is more useful for you to say, I need to have a rest because I'm really tired, but you don't have to add the, it's the baby. The baby makes me tired or you can leave that bit out. That is your truth, but it doesn't have to be given to your child because that may start I mean, they're so little when they're toddlers, but it can start to bring up a story of the baby makes my mummy tired. You know, the baby makes my mummy sick. You know, like I vomited for like eight months. So, you know, baby makes mummy sick or baby makes mummy whatever, tearful, whatever it is. That's not good because you're already layering a story of who this baby is to your child. And of course, that's the truth. It's the hormones, it's the pregnancy, it's all of those things. But you sometimes just have to like keep it really neutral and do set boundaries for yourself. So maybe you can't nap for a long time, but maybe you can, maybe not two hours without an alarm, but you can, you can, you can, you can give your child a screen or TV or something that you know will keep their attention and keep them safe. And you can either lie down even in the same room, but just lie down or Go and take a break for yourself and do whatever it is that you need. Have a bath, you know, like a cold bath or whatever it is, like in this heat kind of thing. Do something and make sure as long as your child is safe, they're okay. It's also about remembering your needs have to be prioritized too. And your child does not need you 24-7. They don't. They don't need you to be engaged and connected with them all the time. So do look after you because that's more important. And then both before you give birth, which takes a lot of energy, but then after birth, the more energy you hold and you kind of like protect, the better you're going to be when you then begin life with two, right? Because for me, it's a different kind of, this is a new family story we're building. There's another person in our family. And that change does mean you need to honor holding on to your energy as well. So important. And it's such a good point around the energy that you're going to need on the other side of that pregnancy and trying to conserve as much as you can as you go through. One of the things that I found really tricky about having a toddler and then being pregnant and knowing that I was going to go into labor was not knowing when that was going to happen. And explaining that to Jesse, I found really challenging, like trying to explain one day soon, something's going to happen and we have home birth. So I was like, and we chose that she wouldn't be there for the home birth you're going to go here and then you might have to stay overnight at my friend. It was complicated and I definitely needed some advice. (laughs) So what is the best way to set up 
that time also not knowing how long you're going to be away, right? Because depending on how the birth goes, you could be away for a week or 10 days in hospital. How do you set that up? The way I think about it is you can only control what you can control. So that's one thing. And I'll talk about some of the things that you might be able to plan and prepare and stick to. We need to remember that like toddlers have no sense of time. So use that to your benefit. Okay. You don't need to give them a date. And also we all know the due date is not even like a real thing. So none of us know, like, unless you have a planned cesarean or something, you know, you planned intervention, you're not going to know. So it doesn't matter. But I would say like a week before your due date, you know, around then 10 days to a week before I would start to do a little bit exactly as you were saying Zoe like tell your child what the plan will be so one day the plan one day is going to look like this and I would give them a little story and this should be a story of the things you can control and you're going to keep these things no matter what happens and I know that might sound really weird but for example given your example And everybody's story is going to be different, but it might be, you know, one day what might happen is that either like whoever it is, like auntie's going to come and pick you up from nursery. It will be auntie who picks you up and she will say, because you can give another adult, you know, bring them into the story, share your story with them. And she will say, mommy has gone to hospital to have a baby, for example. I know you said a home birth, but I'm going to, you know, or mommy's having a home birth. So you're coming home with me and you're going to stay with auntie and you're going to play with your cousins and you're going to stay overnight and have a sleepover, you know, and auntie's going to have pizza that night. What can you control? Bring people into the story. I'm going to get pizza. Yep. It's going to be pizza night at auntie's and you're going to stay overnight and then she'll take you to nursery the next day. And then auntie might still take you home, you know, one more night. And I would say, There is no harm in having like one night or two nights with your toddler somewhere safe and okay with maybe one of you, like one of the parents who's going to go and see toddler or your little one. But what if it does take a few days for you to recover? And for some people, like I was in hospital for nearly a week and that was not planned, you know, obviously, but I was in hospital for a week. And if I'd had another child at that time, I would have really struggled to have them there because I was not in the place to be with visitors or anything like that. But my husband could have gone to see our little one and stayed with her or whatever, but I would have struggled by myself the whole time. So it would have been more of a visit and she would have had to be cared for by somebody else. So what you need to do, because these unpredictabilities exist and we don't know for certain, all you need to do is give a really concrete story of a few steps. Who's going to pick them up? Where will they stay? Like who will look after them? Include something fun or something different or something that they can like look forward to. And then when, not as a date, but at some point, who's going to pick them up from the place or will auntie bring them home? Whatever it is. And how will you stay in contact? So often toddlers still want to see you or speak to you. So think about that within your story. We will call you or we will send you a video message or whatever it is, because that helps them feel connected to you, even though they're separated. And if you just tell a little story, and with toddlers, I do like to make stories. I know this is extra effort, but if you've got time, the last few days of your pregnancy, get your partner involved. You can do like a little book, like a little story book. So you could do it online, like on an iPad, put some photos, you know, of photos of like, 
auntie and your child, I'm saying auntie, could obviously be anybody, you know, the caring adult with your child, the house they're going to stay in, mummy and daddy. If you're having a home birth, maybe it's what it will look like. You know, this is the kind of space we're going to have baby in. If it's the hospital, maybe you put a photo of the hospital. It really helps kids to have like this concrete visual idea of I'm going to be in this house with this person and my mummy and daddy are safe somewhere else having a baby. They're not going to really understand what having a baby means, but they're going to understand where you are located. And that can bring kids lots of reassurance and safety, if that makes sense. I actually did that, not when we had Rose, but when we moved house and I did like a big chart on the wall. And Jesse still will talk about that chart. I remember because that was that day on the chart. It really works that making the invisible visible. It's so powerful, isn't it? Okay. And then how should we introduce the baby to, I remember I'll tell a little story. So I had a quick birth with Rose at home. I was really lucky. And we'd had private midwives and Jessie had got to know them and and they had let her listen in and because all the appointments were at home, but she'd only ever seen one of them. So she knew they worked together. And when she came in to meet Rose, she literally couldn't have given less of a shit about about me, Rose. She was so excited that the midwives were together because she'd never seen them together before. And it was so funny. That was her focus. She was like, they were both there. And she was really excited about that. So it's just so funny, isn't it? I had this vision that they, you know, she would gush over this baby and that just did not happen at all. And then for a treat, we said that she could sleep in our room. So the four of us slept in a room that first night. She hated it because obviously Rose just cried all night. <laughs> she was like, you know, the baby cries. And yeah, so it's just so funny, the plans that we lay, isn't it, and how differently they go. But what's some of the things that we can do to really help that first meeting moment? I mean, I love what you've just shared though, Zoe, because I think it's really important to recognize that as adults and parents, we have our own wishes and dreams and hopes, and they might not play out in reality. Sometimes it helps us to have like an expectation of this might not work out the way I'm planning or hoping, you know, like she didn't gush over baby. And then she also didn't think sleeping all of you together, which I think is so sweet. The four of you in one room, she was like, oh, this is not my thing. So just think about whatever plan you make, accept that it might change and that that's just okay. Try not to be too disappointed about it. And again, having said that, what I'm going to say now may or may not fit for you, but sometimes children, like in your experience, it's actually really common. They don't gush over the baby. They will gush over other things. And sometimes it's unpredictable. It's often you which is why I'm going to say what I'm going to say might be a helpful thing to try. So they often gush over seeing you again, often mummy or daddy or, you know, both of you, because they haven't seen you for a while. So especially if you have spent the night away or whatever it is, then they will run to you. So being mindful of where baby is can be really helpful. So are you carrying baby in your arms? Because if you are, when your toddler runs to you, you can't give them like a proper full body hug. Also, if you've had surgery because of birth or, you know, a C-section, you might also not be able to hug them fully. You might want to hug them in a different position, you know? So you need to really think what's going to help you? Where will baby be? Often little ones, we carry them like in a little bassinet or they'll be in their little car seat 
or get your partner or somebody else like a safe adult to hold them or bring them in your arms, but put them down, you know, set up somewhere where you're going to quickly put baby down, you know, safely, whether it's the little Moses basket or whatever you've got to put them down so that you are free and available if your child runs to you. That can really help because otherwise they're already going to feel like, oh, there's somebody else in your arms. And remember, they don't really get that a baby is a person. So until they see baby, they're like, what's this? What's this in my mummy's arms or my daddy's arms? I often will say to adults, try and keep your arms free so that you can be available to your toddler. But also don't be surprised if the thing that they notice is what you're wearing or something really random like some small toy that baby's got hanging somewhere already or the baby's hat, you know, like something not baby, something around baby. There's no right or wrong, but I know lots of families who like to give toddlers a little gift or something to give baby. I like to give toddler something from baby because it's about saying, hi, thank you for having me in your home. So it's the other way around for me, rather than toddler being like, welcome, because they're not, okay? They're not thinking, welcome. But it's nice to be like, you know, baby got you something. And it could be something tiny. You know, kids love the most ridiculous things. Like, again, if you've been in hospital, maybe it's something you got in hospital. Maybe it's one of their favorite foods. You know, it doesn't have to be like a massive toy because I'm really against that. They don't need that. They just need something that's like, you know, a t-shirt that says whatever, big sister, big brother, whatever. Or just, you know, something really small. Like with my daughter, it would be something like a lolly because she loves a lolly and she'd find that like super exciting. But something like that, that makes them build a little bit of that kind of, oh, baby thought of me. And we want to build their relationship to be about love and care and thoughtfulness. So you can start to kind of plant those seeds. So those are like my few tips. Remember your expectations and hopes. They might not fit and that's okay. Don't feel bad about it. Your child might not gush over baby. They might be going for you or for things around baby. And maybe baby can be saying, thank you for having me. It's really beautiful. I can see how if I put my sort of two, three-year-old little, if I imagine what it's like, I think what you've just said about being available for that reconnection, as opposed to like, look at your sibling. And they're like, I can imagine the sort of confusion. And I love the idea of baby giving toddler a gift. What we did was Jessie, who was four when Rose was born, is obsessed with little parties. Like she loves setting out the paper plates and she loves it. So what we did is the next morning we had a little birthday party for Rose because obviously it was her birthday. And so I made Jessie sort of a bit responsible for it. And I was like, you can do it. And we baked a cake together and we'd already made. So I wasn't baking a cake the morning after I'd given birth, but we'd already done it. And she absolutely loved it. She talks about it still, actually. Do you remember when we did the little birthday party for Rose? And I think I just got that idea because I thought she just loves hosting little parties. So maybe that could be one way. And I thought it is her birthday, the day after, but whatever. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it was really sweet. And I've got these really hilarious pictures of me looking like, oh my gosh, just tired on another level. (laughs) Jessie holding this chocolate cake that she made. It was really sweet. Oh, it sounds perfect. I love that idea. And I think, yeah, I mean, I said, 
maybe bring a gift, but do your own thing. Again, that family story, how do you want to make it? What would work? What do you think would connect with your child and with you? Is that first meeting moment something you would role play? Like, would you role play like mummy sitting in the bed at home and then toddler running in and you, you might be holding a doll? And is that something that you would practice? Yeah, I think that would be one of those things that would be really nice to practice, even if you're not in a bed, you know, if you're just like playing with your child with baby doll, and you're the one holding the doll, then you could do that. You could be like, Oh, no, don't lie on top of me, you know, come and sit next to me. And I think that that is also a nice way of practicing it. Because then when baby is around, you can remind your child of it. You know, you can remind your child of, remember when we had Dolly, this is the same as with Dolly. Where do you sit? Yes. And they'll remember it. So see it as, you know, it is like practicing. It is a bit like exercising or doing anything else. It's like role play allows children to practice real skills, but in a way that is appropriate for them given their development. So it allows them to use their imagination and all of this, but it does help them like build up these skills. So I think it does help. If I've got a big podcast to do and I'm nervous about, you know, the guests or whatever, I will visualize, sometimes I will set up my kit and like visualize myself walking through that first five minutes because the brain doesn't know the difference between real and imagined. So I know that that's growing my muscle memory so that when I come to sit down for the real thing, there's a part of my brain that'll go, oh, it's cool. We've done this before. I know what to do. So it's so powerful, isn't it? Really powerful. And I agree. Absolutely. It's that kind of muscle memory of experience. You've experienced it once and more than once, hopefully, if you're practicing it. Then when the real day comes, it doesn't feel different. It feels like something you've done before. So you can do it again. I use role play so much of my girls. I mean, it helps. I'm a frustrated actress. So I'm always like throwing myself into these, into these role plays. We do tons of role play. We did it so much for like using the toilet and things like that. Like it really helps with new skills. And I think you can think of having a new baby as like a new skill for your child, having to adjust and adapt to living with another another baby. It's not a child, it's a baby at first. And therefore that is different. That's not how they socialize or interact with you as adults or how they socialize and interact with same age peers. A baby is very different. So it does really help them. Things like the crying. So I haven't mentioned this, but of preparation, it can help to kind of, my daughter loves doing this, making the dolly cry like, and kind of helping your toddler recognize that actually baby's not going to talk, but it is going to cry and it's a way of talking. So I always say when babies cry, they're trying to tell us something. What do we think baby's trying to say? You know, are they hungry? Are they sleepy? Whatever it is. So it really helps toddlers because often when we don't explain that babies just cry, they don't speak. Some little ones that I've met with, they're really scared of babies because they cry and that's not what they expected. They expected to have a buddy to play with or dollies who just sit quietly and they don't cry. So it can really help to have a dolly that either you play it out or if the dolly has a little cry, that can also really help them to kind of associate the reality of what a baby is going to be like. Yeah. And one of the reasons baby Annabelle is just so brilliant, isn't it? Is because she cries. And as you were talking then, I was just remembering, of course, babies cry and they don't talk and they can't play. But a two or three year old does not know that unless we tell them. And then they're like, what is this noise? And why is this little thing not running around with me? It's just so important to remember that, isn't it? That unless we tell our toddlers, they just don't know that. 
Absolutely. Don't assume that because your toddler is bright and they're talking and they're physically active or even maybe like using a balance bike, whatever it is, don't assume that they understand that babies don't speak or that babies don't play or that babies sleep a lot. Because I also have, I've met so many toddlers who are like, yeah, my baby sibling is boring. They just sleep. And I'm like, they're a baby, but they never expected it. So you expect it as an adult, but they don't. It does help. And you can't prepare them for everything. That's the other thing. But it can help to say just some basics. If you know other people who have a baby or there are babies around, like it can help even in a shop, it can help to point it out and say, look at baby, they're asleep. You know, babies sleep a lot. You know, like little things like that will start to make it real in their minds. I'm just loving this. You're giving so many like amazing little tips. I just wish that I'd have had this two years ago. Anyway, so you talked before about what we really want is that beautiful connection. Like we want to start building a relationship between our two children and their relationship as siblings. In that first couple of months, so you're in the fourth trimester as the mother, you are, I mean, I don't need to imagine this. This was me. You are exhausted. I was struggling with breastfeeding. Like I found it really hard to also be considering Jesse's needs. And on top of that, how they were going to connect. What are some of the things to make those first couple of months as easy as possible and as positive as possible for the toddler? I would think about what's going to make it positive for you. So when you're planning this, I really, really think the first focus has to be you because I mean, you've very clearly highlighted, like it's very hard. It is exhausting. It's not one baby. You've got two children and you can't split yourself in two really, especially in those early days. So it's about thinking who else is around, who loves your toddler, who loves you, who have you got as a source of support that toddler can be with and don't feel bad about this. Okay, you do need some time with your toddler because it's good for both of you too. But if you do that, then you also need somebody for baby. So don't feel like I've got to be with baby and I have to be with my toddler the whole time. And I know for some people, this might feel like a really privileged position. But if you have a partner, if you have family members, if you have a kind, loving neighbors, like we do, we have no family near us, but we've got lots of like really loving, kind supportive neighbors around us, do get in touch with these people. And, you know, one of the things that people do love to do is help, but you need to ask for what you need. So asking for what you need might look like, could you take my toddler out to the park with your little one when you go? You know, can you just take them for a bit of a play so that they can have a bit of fun or enjoyment or whatever it is? If you're like, I need just need a rest. I mean, all my friends used to love coming to hold baby give them baby. Like baby is fine. Babies need warm, loving touch. Doesn't have to be you the whole time to build your attachment bond. I know that's what we think, but it's not true. Like, especially if you're breastfeeding, you're giving them lots of contact, lots of touch with you. That hour, half hour, whatever it is with somebody else is not going to harm baby. And it's not going to interrupt your attachment at all. So pass baby on. So you've got a bit of time but maybe that bit of time is not for your toddler. Maybe what you need is some rest. Really think about your needs. I think those first couple of months are about you getting into this new rhythm of being a parent of two, but really focusing on your needs for recovery because our bodies and our brains, and we know this, doesn't matter that it's a second baby, your brain and your body as a woman goes through so many changes 
during pregnancy, but also post-birth. And you need to see this as recovery for you. Your children's relationship is going to be hopefully a lifelong relationship. Those early like two or three months of their time is not going to impact on their relationship, okay? It'll grow, it'll expand, and they can't really develop an interaction or a connection. They can have little moments where your toddler maybe brings the nappies and helps you or helps with the bath, you know, pouring water or whatever it is. But it doesn't have to be like, we need to get them to love each other here and now because that's not how it happens. Relationships are long-term things. It takes lots of time. Give it time and space and use those few months for your recovery, your well-being. Do seek support and find the people who are your people to look after you, like mother you because we all need mothering too, and looking after your little ones too. It's so important that, and I think what you've just said just takes the pressure off everyone, doesn't it? Like it's not about that first couple of months, you know, that they have to love each other and you have to forget about yourself in the process. I love that you're like, we need to be at the top of that triangle. I didn't actually experience this, but loads of my friends did, where the toddler is almost like testing limits with the baby. Like, oh, what happens if I hit the baby? What happens if I try and tip the Moses basket over, which happened to one of my friends? How do we handle that when the relationship is sort of not neutral, but looking like it might be going into sort of negative? One, it's about how do you perceive those responses from your toddler as an adult? That's always where I go first. You know, what do you see? Obviously, I see risk, you know, like the Moses basket or the hitting. There's a risk. Somebody might get hurt. It's not safe for either of them. It's not safe for toddlers to hit either. Like it's not a safe behavior for them to be the one who hits and harms either. So there's something about safety, which for me is about boundaries, but really think about what you're reading into this. Because as a toddler, this could be exploration. Like what happens when I do this? The same way as when they were smaller, they were throwing things off the table. What happens when I do this? Oh, splat. I'll do it again. Splat. You know, they're little scientists. That's how I think of them. So they're just experimenting and they're trying to figure it out. They're not necessarily trying to push your boundaries. They're just trying to make sense of these new objects. And again, preparation might look like get the Moses basket out if you have one and have it around for a while. You know, let your child see it as part of the furniture. And what do you do with the Moses? We're really careful with it. Okay. We don't push it or push it over or sit on it or jump on it, whatever it is. Again, you could use that as preparation, but just be mindful that actually your child is likely to just be exploring rather than acting out. Or if what you see is that your child is getting annoyed at baby, take that as a communication of what might be going on for them. So many parents I see would probably name that as jealousy. And I think we often think of jealousy as like a bad feeling, but I don't see jealousy that way. To me, jealousy is a normal feeling. We all experience it. We need to become more accepting of it in our lives. And there's a really positive component to jealousy. Okay. Jealousy says, I want something you have. And that can be admiration. You know, I want something you have. That's amazing. Or it can be, I want something you have and that's not fair. But when it's the not fair bit, that's pain. And what I see with like new siblings and toddlers is that often, not always, but sometimes toddlers do feel a sense of loss and I see it as a sense of grief. So for me, I would reframe jealousy into my child feels grief 
my child feels like they're missing out on something. They don't have something. So just notice, are they like hitting baby when you're holding baby? And is that them saying, why are you not holding me? What are they communicating? And then it's about setting a firm boundary because it's really important that they don't hit baby. So no, we don't hit baby, but I would teach them what they can do instead. You can, I would hold their little hand and be like, you can stroke baby's feet or, you know, you can stroke baby's legs, whatever you want to do, their little hand, or you can hold their little hand while they're feeding. That's okay. Or you can bring a little toy and show baby, but you can't hit them. And you need to be the boundary. You need to use yourself to block toddler. I would never leave a toddler alone with a newborn. Don't leave them alone in the same room. Don't, 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 please don't. Not because toddlers are like horrible creatures, just because they're exploring. They might do something that they don't intend. So don't put yourself in that position is what I would say. And teach them the how. Make sure that you listen to the communication, which might be I'm missing out on something. And then think outside of that moment, how do you give your child that thing? Is it that you can't hold baby when your toddler's there all the time. You need to learn to put baby down so you can like hold toddler or spend some one-on-one time with toddler or whatever it is. So think about what is your toddler saying that they're missing on and what is the conversation that needs to happen? And this one's going to be hard, but one of the things that I often do suggest to parents to do with their toddler is to give them space to say that they don't like the baby. The reason why I'm saying that's hard is because I think often parents say, but I want them to love the baby. Of course you do. You accepting that your toddler might not like the baby does not mean that you don't love the baby, okay? But we need to accept our children's feelings as theirs, separate to us. And when children feel accepted, so when you're able to say, you don't really like baby, they're annoying, aren't they? I get it. And I still love you. And it's okay that you don't like baby but I'm not going to let you hit them. When you say that, what your child understands is, so you love me even though I don't love them? And the answer is yes. As a parent, you're going to love both of your kids. You're probably going to love them differently because they're different people and you have a different relationship with them. But it's important that you accept those bad, dark feelings that your toddler might carry because that's what's going to help them not act out. Because you can also say to your toddler, so when baby's annoying, when you don't like them, when you don't want to be near baby, come and tell me and I will help you. So when you're on your child's side, you're protecting them and you're protecting your baby and you're sharing with your child, I'm going to be on your side, even if you don't like baby, but I'm not going to let you hit them. So you can come and find me and you can tell me how annoying baby is and that's okay. I accept it. I'm not going to try and say, baby's lovely. You're supposed to love baby. Let that go. Okay. Remember the relationship's going to take years years to develop. You've got time and you can't force love. Love is not something we force on people, including children. Love is something that grows through time, through our relationship, through our connection, and it's going to happen. But if your toddler has those like attacking feelings in their body, just allow them to exist without attacking physically. Just allow them to exist as an emotion. So important that, you know, I've really learned this over the years and it's so counterintuitive, isn't it? That by validating the hard feelings, we actually reduce the amount that they're going to want to act out on those. But it is so counterintuitive. And Jessie says this all the time to me. And I talked about it a lot, actually, that it's hard to be a sister. I'm like, it's hard to be a sister, isn't it? And then I'll sometimes say, 
I remember, because I was the older one, I remember when Uncle Andrew was born and I found it so hard as well. And she loves that. She's always saying to me, did you find that hard when Uncle Andrew used to steal your toy? And I always go, oh, yes. I remember feeling so angry. And Nanny would say, she seems to absolutely love me talking about my experience as a sibling. Yeah, well, kids love hearing that they're not alone with this stuff, like these big feelings. So they love it when we're genuine, like you're being about our experiences. And it really helps them to be like, oh, so this is normal. So I'm okay to feel like this. And I think as a parent, you know, one of the most powerful things we can say to our kids is whatever you feel is okay. And it's very normal to feel this. It's okay. And I still accept you. It doesn't matter that you feel this way. I still love you. There is so much power in that because we're not trying to shut down our kids. We're not trying to tell them how they should feel. We're just allowing them to go through this experience of, it's such a big transition, this experience of, we are a different family. There's a new person in this house. And to be honest, nobody knows this baby yet, okay? None of you know baby. You're all getting to know baby. So we don't know. Like, we don't know how we're going to relate to baby. We know how we have to care for them. But most parents' experience of their first and their second are so different because they're different babies. You know, it's also okay to say that, you know, I don't know baby either. I sometimes get it wrong and I don't know what they're saying when they're crying. It's really hard. You know, it's really annoying. Their cries really hurt my ears. You know, whatever it is, be honest about it. It's not going to harm your kid. It's going to bring you together that they'll be like, oh, so you find this hard too. It's really important. It's so helpful and it's so powerful just bringing out all of those hard things more to the surface, isn't it? And just being a bit more honest with our toddlers. I want to ask you one more thing before we close, which is as they get older, I read the other day that the average siblings fight every seven minutes. And I was like, yeah, that's a hundred percent true in my house. Like I'll set them up in an activity, separate activities. I'll be like, right, mommy's just going to go and put the pasta on for dinner. It will be three minutes. I haven't even made it to the kitchen. And there's like a scream and she hit me. How do we handle when I guess baby's sort of one ish and sharing comes into it and hitting and fighting? How do we handle that? First of all, it's hard. Secondly, conflict is part of relationships. We can't remove conflict. This idea of children should play nicely is an adult expectation. I would really like all adults to know if you want your kids to play nicely, you need to accept that there's going to be pockets of time where they don't play nice. Okay. It is part of relationship building. And three, one of the things that can really help when babies become children which is a new phase for your toddlers, okay? So this is like a metamorphosis is what I think. Your toddlers just got used to a baby. Okay, I get the rules with baby. They cry, they eat, they sleep. I'm okay, I've adjusted. And suddenly baby starts to walk and talk and they're like, what? You're doing what? And like, I've seen this in toddlers' faces. Like, what? What are they doing? What do you mean you're grabbing my toys? What do you mean you're now talking back? What is this? They're not expecting it. Again, this is us as adults thinking, of course, babies become children. They don't know that. So it can also help to have a sit down on a conversation and say, you know, baby's not baby anymore. Baby's now a child. And have a conversation with your toddler about, and this might be part of your planning alongside with toddler. So we're going to make sure that you have some toys that are all yours. And we're going to make sure that 
new child in the family also has toys that are just theirs. So what toys are you happy to share? Or what toys do you want to protect just for you? And this is really important. And often when we have two kids, we think, great, because they're kitted out. They've got tons of stuff. They can share it. No, they cannot. It's a really hard truth, but they can't share it all. Your first child especially toys, okay? Toys for kids, they are part of their identity. They're not just objects, okay? Because their fantasy world and the real world is so merged because of their brain development, loads of their toys are like real to them. They are part of who they are. So having them touch or taking them away is painful. That's why sometimes they scream really loudly. They're like, you're ripping something away from me. So no, we need to protect their toys In the same way that you might protect, I don't know as an adult what it might be, your technology if you're into tech or your jewelry or, you know, your fancy dresses. You don't let your friends come in and just go through your wardrobe and go, great, I'm just going to wear this to the park. You're like, what are you doing? I'm saving that dress. You wouldn't do that. So don't think of it differently with the little kids. So I would say that your toddler has the right to protect some of their toys and make sure that you know what they are. You might need to a box, nothing fancy. It doesn't have to be fancy, but put it somewhere where they can be protected, maybe in their bedroom, maybe somewhere where baby doesn't go. And you make the boundary very clear. So when you play with this toy, you have to play with it here or in this place. And I will make sure baby doesn't touch it or new child doesn't touch it. And if you bring it into this room, when your brother or sister is around, then you need to accept that they might touch it. So you need to help your child understand that difference between this is a toy that's protected and my mummy or daddy will help me. But if I put it in this situation, then I'm accepting it might get touched. And then there might be other toys that they share or that they gift to their younger siblings. So it's a really nice way of kind of rotating toys. All these little toys, you don't really play with them anymore. Can we gift them? Can we pass them on? Kids need separation in order to come together. They need the both and. They need to be separate and they need to be able to come together. So one of the ways that I would do that would be with the toys because it's a real big definition of what is separate and what they're allowed to come together with. And then just see it as relationship building. So if your children are having conflict, but it's not harming either of them, so it's safe, they're bickering, they're not but they're not hitting or hurting each other, step back. And one of the things I always say to parents is you're not a referee. You're not there to referee what's right or what's wrong. You are there to kind of be really neutral, your parent both. So just notice or like say what you notice, you know, like, ah, I can see that you both want to play with a ball and there's only one ball. So what are we going to do with this? Rather than he had it first or he snatched it or whatever it is. Just let that go. Let that go. You need to be neutral. And even if a child has done something and you've witnessed it, don't be the one who judges whether it's right or wrong. Like, yeah, okay, you did have the ball first. Let that go. Just say to them, well, there's only one ball. So what are we going to do? Can you both play with one ball? If not, shall I take it away? You want to do something different? You know, be the person that allows them to problem solve a little bit. It is hard. So just see it as something that develops over time with your support and your protection. There's so much in there. And it is really hard. Like my girls come to me all the time. She did this. She took my toy. Or Jessie's really into art and she makes these incredible things. And Rose will like 
sometimes go up and destroy it. And oh my God, it's like, yeah, I know. And I find it really hard not to feel angry at Rose. I'm like, Jessie spent three hours making this clay model and she's somehow climbed up and ripped its head off, which happened the other day. It is really hard, but I love what you're saying about just allowing them to figure it out a bit for themselves. We could probably do a whole episode, maybe we should, on sibling fighting and sibling, you know, because it is, I find it one of the hardest things about having multiple children. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you think it was really important for people to hear about toddlers and new siblings before I ask you the final question? I mean, I think we could talk about this for a long time. I would say like sibling relationships are, what's the word I want to use? It's just one of the most complex relationships that a person has. So if you're an adult with a sibling, you will probably know what I'm talking about. But it is so complex. And it's something that, you know, we could spend hours talking about and probably only like touch the surface. And I think it's really important to recognize that siblings don't have the same experience of your family home, and they won't hold the same family story necessarily as each other because they have a different relationship with you and that's normal. Okay. You're not supposed to be like equal with your kids because one of them was first, the other one came next. You know, they have a different story. Like the baby will always live in a home where they always knew they had a sibling, right? It will never be a shock to them, but your eldest will have a memory, whether it's felt emotional or like a little bit of a story in their heads of there was a time when you weren't here. And I think it's important to just recognize that sibling relationships are really complex. They don't just finish in childhood. So hold that in your mind as parent. Often sibling relationships really either cement or sadly, sometimes they rupture in adulthood, but it's adulthood that makes it. That's where we spend most of our lives. Childhood is like this tiny, tiny season. So do think about that. Your children's relationship, yes, you're planting seeds, but you might not see them flourish or grow until your kids are way older. So just remember that because I think it's important. It is such a good point. I need to let go of the expectation. I have this really strong wish that my girls are super close and I need to let go of that expectation because I have no idea what's going to play out. And as you say, sibling relationships are so complex, aren't they? So I always ask the same question at the end, which is if you could just give one gift to all the mums in the world, what would that one gift be and why? I think, I mean, it's something I say a lot. So sorry, might be boring, but I would gift imperfection because especially nowadays, I think there is a real pull to get things right a lot. And I think one of the things I would like all mothers to know, all parents to know, is that you only need to get it right like a third of the time. And a lot of the goodness that happens in the brain and in emotional development and when we talk about connection happens in the messy error bit. It happens in the mess. It happens in the mismatch between meeting your child's need and getting it wrong. It happens in the repair, which is why I talk a lot about repairing and apologizing and just owning, acknowledging your flaws with your children, being really honest about it. And that bit is so much more important than getting it right because your children's brains and their bodies emotionally as well, they start to learn what it feels like to be in a relationship. And being in a relationship is not about always being connected and attuned to another. Like that's not real. 
It is about times where you miss each other. It is about times where you get it wrong and you have a misstep. And that's the bit that helps children develop resilience and helps build your attachment bond. So don't feel like I have to be getting it right all the time. And anything that you pick, even from this conversation today that we've had today, anything that you hear or pick as like an idea or a tool that you think I'm going to try that, just remember you don't have to get it right. And the outcome, like I said, might not be what you expect. Just remember that you're doing your best. As long as you're doing your best and your intention is to do it with like love and warmth and care, your children feel that. They feel that so much more than the perfect strategy or the perfect script or whatever it is. They feel your presence. That's what lands with them. So when you get it wrong, you become shouty mum. Happens to everybody, me included. It's the other bit. It's the bit where you show up with warmth and care and love and you explain that, you know, your anger is yours. It's my fault. I should have never shouted at you. I'm really sorry. That's the bit that stays with them. And that's the bit that really helps them. So I would like parents to know that because I think there's a pull for perfection that is really evident to me at the moment. And I think I really want people to know, like the science says a third of the time, okay? A third, a third, a third. (laughs) There's a lot of space for human error. I think we can't hear that message enough. And I often think this as well, like people will message me like, I listen to your podcast and I'm so worried. And I'm like, if you're listening to a podcast about motherhood and parenting, I know that you're already great because you're caring enough to use your time, which means that your love is infused in that relationship. Like if you're following someone like you, Dr. Martha, or someone like me, the people that listen are the sort of the ones that don't need to, right? I often think that. Exactly. I agree. I always think, well, you're already doing it right. Like you're doing it enough. Exactly. Because if you care enough to want to learn, then you're already incredible. Absolutely. If you care enough to kind of be like, I want to show up the best I can. I mean, that tells me you're already showing up the best you can. You're already doing it. These are just tweaks. Okay. Tiny little tweaks and you don't have to use them all all the time. Just extras. Thank you so much. I think this is going to help so many people. So thank you again. My pleasure. So that was the second episode in the Toddler Milestone Moment series created in partnership with Baby Annabelle. I hope you loved it. I hope you love learning about just how powerful doll play can be. And a reminder to enter the competition to win £300 worth of Baby Annabelle dolls and accessories. Just pop over to my Instagram to enter at Zoe Blasky next in the series out on Monday it's with the brilliant nutritionist Charlotte Sterling Reed discussing everything you need to know about feeding your toddler it is one not to be missed we'll see you then